We've all been there, justifying our creative job to mum and dad, explaining what our job is to granddad, brushing off jokes about freelancing from our mate who works in finance. But times are changing and the value of creativity is being recognised. The creative industries are the fastest growing part of the UK economy and the least likely jobs to be taken over by robots. I'm Kayleigh McLeod and this is Get A Proper Job, where I'll be talking to researchers and creatives about the issues that matter. Some of that I think around self-worth and it's around whether women feel like they can give themselves permission to do it. We're talking female entrepreneurship with Andrea Callanan. Hello and welcome. Before we chat to Andrea, let's get the latest research on women in business. Gemma Collins is business growth enabler at NatWest Business Banking based in Cardiff. Gemma's going to talk to us today about the Rose Review, which looks at female entrepreneurship in order to better understand the barriers that women may face in business. Over to you, Gemma. The UK is the startup capital of Europe, attracting more venture capital than any other European country. Yet only one in three UK entrepreneurs is female. Women currently receive less than 1% of venture capital and on average have starting capital that is 50% below that of men. They are also less aware of funding options than men. Female businesses are 44% of the size of male-led businesses. Male-led businesses are five times more likely to scale up and up to £250 billion could be added to the UK economy if women started and scaled new businesses at the same rate as men. Female entrepreneurs are also underrepresented in the most productive high-value sectors, one being IT and communications, where only 12% of entrepreneurs are female. So what is holding women back? On International Women's Day in 2019, NatWest's now CEO, Alison Rose, released the Rose Review on female entrepreneurship on behalf of the UK government. The report built on the extensive research in this area, drawing on more than 50 previous reports, and carried out more than 200 in-depth interviews and workshops with entrepreneurs and business leaders, as well as looking at international best practice and surveying more than 5,000 people. The goal of the review was to understand the disparity between male and female entrepreneurs and, importantly, to identify the barriers facing female entrepreneurs. The report showed that those barriers are low access to or awareness of capital, advanced risk awareness. This doesn't mean that women are risk averse. It means that many women are much more aware of risk when it comes to their business finances. Basically, they prefer to avoid debt, as they probably do in their personal lives, subscribing to the old adages of live within your means and neither lender nor borrower be. Another barrier is perceived missing skills and experience and sometimes a general lack of self-belief. We've all heard of and possibly experienced imposter syndrome, for instance. Another barrier is disproportionate primary care responsibilities. And a fifth barrier, lack of relatable sponsorship, mentorship and role models. So we might be able to name high achieving businesswomen, but whether we feel that we can relate to them is another matter. So throughout 2019, NatWest has worked hard in collaboration with lots of other organisations to provide support to women on these key areas. We've unveiled a new initiative, Back Her Business, with Crowdfunder, to give women access to much needed funding when starting their businesses. 
We recently launched Family First, which sees us given increased flexibility around capital repayment holidays and pay-as-you-go overdrafts for business owners who have what we term a family care event. In Wales, we've worked with the University of South Wales, the Federation of Small Businesses and Darwin Gray Solicitors on a series of events we called It's About Time, dedicated to offering support to women in business on a range of subjects, including around confidence and business finance. And we've launched a series of blog posts in conjunction with Every Woman's Self-Made Hub with real, relatable female entrepreneurs from around Wales telling their own stories of business startups, growth, success and the trials they've faced along the way. But there's plenty more to do and we are constantly talking to women in business and to other support organisations to ask where our focus needs to be to make sure we face these barriers head on and overcome them. It was a major focus for us in 2019 and it will continue to be in 2020. Thanks for that really comprehensive overview, Gemma, and for sharing it with us today. Thank you for having me. Now we're going to chat to Andrea about her experiences as a female entrepreneur. Andrea is a voice, mindset and business coach and a best-selling author. She's founded six, count them, six creative businesses, including Inspire Me, Sing and Inspire and her international coaching business. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Nice to be here. I heard someone call you recently a Wonder Woman. Oh, did they? Who did that? Oh, (laughs) I I don't know if I can tell, but I'm already feeling like you are a Wonder Woman. Well, that's not, I should have worn my cape, shouldn't I? I did think about wearing my cape jacket, but I didn't. I ended up wearing (laughs) my my vintage one. Well, if you disappear off, we'll know where you've gone. (laughs) Can you just kick off by telling our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Absolutely. So I am from Barry in South Wales originally. I currently have two main businesses. One is Inspire Me, which is a corporate engagement company. So we go into large corporates and we make them happy and get a return on investment for it. And we use things like singing and mindset work and drumming and team building and workplace choirs. So we've been going for about 11 years now. Wonderful team. It's amazing. Multi-award winning. I'm very proud of it. Lovely little tiny micro creative business. And then my other business, I am an international coach for women. And I mainly coach high achieving female entrepreneurs and senior execs. So I do work all over the globe. Um, A lot of my business is online, so it's a completely different business model. Well, I've been a coach for 25 years, so I started life as a voice coach, a music industry voice coach. About 15 years ago, I started doing mindset work. Uh, I didn't know it was called mindset work then. I used to call it breakthrough coaching. (laughs) But now it's mindset coaching. And so I, I do a lot of work with that and a lot of public speaking, a lot of motivational speaking. And that led to me being a best selling business author. What is it like to be a female entrepreneur, particularly in the creative industries? Well, I love it. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur now for 18 years. I've been making my own money for 18 years. I started um, my career kind of, you know, doing the usual things like retail and, you know, customer service and left my full-time corporate job where I was in middle management a long time ago and I left because I had a really traumatic birth with my first son and I remember thinking okay I trained to be an opera singer I've been trained to be a musician since the age of four I was 25 at the time I had a really big wake-up call with a very traumatic birth and thought I could have died and the baby could have died what am I doing so then I decided that I was going to take the plunge I got funding with the Prince's Trust that's how I started up and I started up as an artist. Goodness knows why they funded me as an artist then. I, just, I dread to think all those years ago. But anyway, they funded me as an artist and I ended up becoming the main music industry voice coach in South Wales. So I did very well. And then I did a load of stuff around the UK. I taught in New York on Broadway. I did some stuff on the West. I did a lot of stuff. And that kind of progressed to coaching entrepreneurs and men 
primarily who wanted to speak better on stage. Okay. So that kind of led into that. And that's really how Singing Inspire was born as well. It was just taking singing into the workplace. And we did that in the 2008 crash. So it was interesting. I think I have loved being self-employed. And for a long time, I couldn't use the word entrepreneur. So I think there's a distinction there too. When I started owning the entrepreneurship, I think it was because I'd built something that was really concrete. So I had three small lifestyle businesses. I was a music industry voice coach, as I've said. I had a record label. First female-owned record label in Wales. And the first one to have Universal um, Music Distribution. Long time ago, like many, many years ago. And I also, I managed bands as well. So that's kind of what I did originally. And then I had Sing and Inspire which then became Inspire Me, alongside the coaching, and then the coaching has developed. So I think a lot of it's been quite organic. Luckily, I've, I've managed to stay in my niche somewhat. You know, I trained as a musician. I've managed to stay in the music industry and stay using the voice. I've made all of my money out of the voice, really. And I think you have to be a certain type of person to want to push in order to be that dynamic. You know, lots of people, self-employment isn't for them. Being an entrepreneur isn't. They need to have that stability of having money dropping into their bank account every month and I totally appreciate that and I think for me I prefer the opposite I'd rather make my own money um, in fact I hate it when I have a salary going into the bank account inspire me was paying me salary for a while and I dislike it because I just work to the salary and the, the thing about entrepreneurs always say which is like awful really but I'm just going to say it because it's really cheesy there's loads of cheese on toast going to come out when we're talking you know <laughs> but it's like a job is just over broke because you always work you always we nearly always, we're not wise enough, are we, to save 20%, you know, give 10% and spend the rest, you know, nearly mm. always we spend what we earn and a little bit more. Yeah. So like being an entrepreneur is very different because it means you've got a completely different view over finances and how you control them. There's a different drive there. Completely different drive. And also, I think if you're somebody who likes variety and you like risk, I think risk is really important because you've got to be able to take risks. As an entrepreneur, if you're somebody who can do that, then I think that that type of lifestyle really suits you. And um, one of the findings that came out of the Rose Review was around risk awareness yeah. being more kind of pronounced in women. So that idea that women tend to live within their means. Do you find that that could negatively influence female entrepreneurs? And so in the work that I do, I've seen that. However, I can tell you that I'm not in that category. And I know there's a lot of my counterparts who aren't either. I'm a real risk taker with money. In fact, my husband is also an entrepreneur and we're opposites in that. He's more risk averse and I'm more risk, you know, I'm more happy to kind of go, yeah, that's fine, you know. What's interesting, because I know the other thing that came out the Rose Review was the childcare and, um, you know, the primary care stuff. When kids are involved, I think you have two camps. You have the female who will go, I'm leaving a legacy for my kids, that it doesn't matter what gender they are, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic background they come from, they can have whatever they want. And like the only way that I can give that to them is if I show them. Yeah. And those are the risk takers. And then you've got the other ones who maybe they're the supplement income. So maybe they've already got they've they've got two incomes coming in, maybe their their partner's got the primary income. And so they want to make a certain amount of money and often that is tied to the identity that they had before they had children. Okay. So sometimes that is tied to the fact they may have been high achieving senior execs or they might have been in leadership in a in a large corporate and then they left corporate because they had kids because they wanted more flexibility around the childcare which has meant that their earning potential in their eyes has gone down and that's really challenging for your identity and it means that your self-esteem and your confidence gets affected and I think there's something in that with I know that in the Rose Review as well there's there's talk around investment and the fact that more male driven companies ask for investment and some of that I think around self-worth 
and it's around whether women feel like they can give themselves permission to do it if they've got a couple of young kids in tow and they're the primary care and they've got to make sure they do the school run then they can only run school hours and all this type of thing hmm. so many of us need to stand in our masculine as women when we're working in corporate because we need to push we need to make up and then execute things and it's all about the goals and the figures whereas one of the things that we know as women is celebrating who we are and our talents and our natural ability to connect and create and collaborate and all of those things means that sometimes that can come across a bit softer and that means that we might not be the person who might go well I need 250 grand investment let's just do the business plan and get it sorted I think it is very much dependent on the individual it's an interesting thing talking about gender and business because my experience is that my gender hasn't held me back in fact I've leveraged the fact that sometimes I'm the only woman in the room to get business you know I've leveraged the fact that I might be more memorable than a sea of you know grey-haired men in grey suits you know I've leveraged that fact and I think that shows I think that I think it's very much determined on personality as much as it is determined on gender if that makes sense so it's not just a gender specific thing I know that the reviews that, that the Rose Review talks very much about this gap between female and male-owned businesses and I think that stands. What I can say is I've not really seen that in my experience. So, and it's to do with who you hang around with, right? So the people in my gang, the people who I, you know, go play in the playground with, they're all female millionaires. They're all women who have self-started. They've not got any investment. They've, they've bootstrapped. And they found agile businesses. They've had fast growth and they're leveraged it. And they've, you know, done the work on themselves and their businesses. They're extreme businesswomen. And they manage to hold down families and self-care and hold down relationships. And it's not to say that they're all superwomen. They're not. And it's like, you know, when you said Wonder Woman earlier on, I'm like, <laughs> cringing. <laughs> it's not to say that. It's just to say that they've made choices. So I think a lot of it is about choice. So I think if you want to be successful as a woman, you can be. But you have to make some choices in order to allow that to happen. Mm, I want to be in your gang. Mm. Sounds like a you great gang, gang to be in. We'll go and drink vodka later. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think, because I think the other thing I think to mention is that men are really good at compartmentalising, and that's one of the strengths that men have. So it's the survival of the fittest, fight, flight, free stuff, right? So men are very good at prioritising in general. This is, these are all generalisations, aren't they? Of course. But they're usually very good at going, OK, I've got to do this project, so I'm going to just concentrate on this project and do it. Women tend to, as a general rule, not always, tend to multitask more. Now, whether they, I know there's a big debate on multitasking and whether it's right or wrong. And I think in, your, in the creative industries especially, I know that I have had to learn how to focus because I go at 100 miles an hour anyway. I'm really dynamic, really ambitious. I wanted to be Madonna when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? It was either Madonna or Maria Callas who was already dead. So it's just like, you know, Madonna was the one. And it's like, I think jumping from one thing to another is very typically creative and it's also quite female. And I'll probably get slammed for that. There'll probably be some people kind of like going say, I'm not like that. I know that some of it is to do with learning types. It's to do with how your brain works. It's to do with how you operate. I'm a headline thinker yeah. because I'm an entrepreneur. So very much for me, I, I employ teams to help me do the detail and help me execute and help me get, you know, make sure that all the balls are being carried. But I think it's really interesting because, again, I think it's choice. You can choose to be successful, but you have to choose it. And along with that, understanding what comes with that. Because I think the other thing about, you know, getting investment and being successful in business and what I've learned, I think, over the last 
now particularly over the last four or five years because it got really tricky with inspire me for a while when brexit was announced the b word mm. that's back in 2016 because our our clients were corporates so lots of the deals that were on the table just went cold i had some serious thinking to do and i had to unpack the business and relearn and reskill but it was choice you know I had to choose to dive in and do the work. And lots of people aren't prepared to do that, male or female. I think it's more of a, a creative attribute, isn't it, as well, that creatives want to jump in and make that choice? Well, I think we can be... Yeah, yeah. And also, I think there's naivety involved, too. I mean, let's not be completely you know, pious about it. I think sometimes we jump in feet first especially as creatives, and we haven't really looked at... We haven't done the risk awareness, <laughs> you know, the risk assessments. We've just jumped in and gone, I'm going to do this. And a lot of the creative industry is built upon rejection. So you expect to be rejected, and that becomes part of the makeup. But rather than it being, somebody rejects me, so I fall through the floor and never again will I be seen because I'm hiding under my duvet, which does happen, of course. But more likely, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to dust myself off and keep going. What's interesting about creative industries as well, I think, is the mentality of that is often we don't expect to be successful. We're either shooting for the stars or we're skinned. We never normally have a middle ground. And it's interesting because the economy is made up of everybody's in the middle ground. Look at any female who is at the top of their tree and I can guarantee they've worked twice as hard to get to where they've got to. And they've had to. Mm. Because it doesn't matter what industry you're in, I don't think. I think I really don't think it matters. You've still got glass ceilings to smash through. You've got to smash through. I'm feeling so motivated just being in your presence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, something that we haven't mentioned yet is that idea of the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit absolutely. for us? What is it? Who gets it? And how do we just push through it or yeah, smash absolutely. through it? <laughs> so my experience in the coaching that I've done, the business coaching and mindset that coaching that I've done, and imposter syndrome is something that I do a huge amount of work on. And I've suffered with it myself too, is that it's not gender specific. However, I think that confidence and self-worth, that's not gender specific either, but I do feel that women carry that baggage more. And it's so much of it is to do with mindset. Okay, so imposter syndrome is I'm not good enough, mm. which is the disease of the 20th and 21st century. There's so much work that's been done around it. I mean, so many of the really huge psychologists and therapists have been you know, whacking out courses about this for the past 30-some years. There's also the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. The fear of judgment is massive, absolutely massive, and judgment is linked to shame. So what's interesting with imposter syndrome with women is that you have tall poppy syndrome. So you've got these high achievers, and women know, you know like you can tell leaders in the playground, they're the girls bossing everyone around and being the <laughs> mummy, you know, and telling everybody how to do the sand pit, you know. And the thing is, if you're a born leader, which many of us are, and we are tall poppies, often what we'll do, we're doing is we'll be looking for approval and we'll be looking for people to cut us down because that's what we're used to. We're expecting that because we need to fit in. Because even mm. though we don't fit in and even though we're different, we do have to fit in. So imposter syndrome is the fear that you just don't fit in. It's the belief that you're not good enough. It's the belief that, why could I do that? It's the comparisonitis. I've got a kind of equation that I use with people and that is that if what you're doing is so compelled by your passion and by, you know, then the fear will dissipate somewhat. So I think with imposter syndrome, it's about addressing fact over fiction. That's the first thing. It's about addressing the fact that a lot of the fears that we have are in our head and they're not always real. They feel real 
and you know the next thing to talk about i suppose would be anxiety and mental health within entrepreneurism and i think it's it's just about pushing through and i also think that it's really important to get some support so you know i know that um Gemma, who was talking earlier i i took inspire me through the natwest entrepreneurial hub and it was a, it was a great support i i invest consistently in my personal growth and in my professional development consistently i spend a lot of money on that growth and it's incredibly important because if I didn't I wouldn't have the support that I need in order to be able to carry the choices that I make and is that something that business. you've had to teach yourself to yeah. do to allow for that space for <laughs> professional development yeah and drop the cash because it's painful and mm. scary you know and I'm from Barry. I'm a make do men girl <laughs> I'm like charity shop chic girl you know so I think that you know when I first invested I, I shouldn't really talk about money on here because I think it's really polarising when you start talking about money but I can tell you that the first course that I invested in was 10 grand for the year and my car was 750 quid off Gumtree you know and I remember going oh my goodness I'm going to be it's $10,000 so I was, I was like I've got to spend 750 quid a month and I remember being really scared and needing permission from my team to have that development if I hadn't invested in it I definitely wouldn't be where I am now. When I did that it was really interesting because it was a game changer because what you do when you invest in yourself is you up level your self-worth and when you do that you have to start standing on who you are mm. and that then gets rid of the imposter syndrome you have to step out of your comfort zone and that's part of the entrepreneurial mindset right so for instance I'm going to go public on this and I wasn't going to go public on it but I've been invited to Necker Island next June to a masterclass the mastermind with Richard Branson and it's, it's a collective of 30 women from around the world that have been invited and we have wow. to apply and then and we've done it. Congratulations. Thank you. And the reason I hadn't talked about it, I've, I've been accepted now for ages, and I hadn't spoken about it because I was scared about what people would say. So the imposter syndrome is still there. It doesn't matter what level you're at. I think it's just a muscle that you exercise. So I think it just changes whichever level you're at. I think that we're still the, the same makeup. I'm still the girl that was in Barry used to stand on tables and sing. <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's just that my fear threshold is different. Because I've, I've made choices to grow that. And when the risk pays off, then you're able to go, OK, I've done that. What's the next thing? The tug of war, I think, that we have as women, especially with families and with expectations and with societal norms. And, you know, a lot of that's actually come from our mothers these days. If you think about it, it's my mother's generation, my, my grandmother's generation. So the judgment often that I have is actually from the older women. And not because they're particularly judgmental, just because they don't understand why would I want to get in a plane and go over to LA and stay there for two weeks when my little boy is at home going to school? And I get it. Yeah. But at the same time, my mindset is very different. It's like, I want to show that little boy that he can have whatever he wants. And isn't it amazing that I can jump on a plane and go to the other side of the world and do some work? How lush is that? And has anyone ever said to you, you know, why don't you get a proper job? That idea of the nine to five. The... I never got, isn't it about time you went out a proper job? I never, I've never had that. That's fantastic. But I wonder whether that's because of my personality. Yeah, because you would say I've got a proper job, wouldn't yeah. you? <laughs> but also because, and, and again, I made money very quickly as a creative. And lots of creatives don't make money for a very, very long time. Right here, right now, you're on this planet once. So it's like you make a choice. Are you going to settle and moan about it and be a Debbie Downer and teach your kids that it's okay for you to have second best? and that you can not give yourself the opportunities that you want and not take the opportunities out of fear. Or, and so maybe that's the right philosophy for you. Maybe it's like, keep your head down, Lev. 
you know, just get through it. And lots of people are like that. Maybe that's fine. For me, it doesn't work. So for me, it's like, no, you've got a talent, you nurture it, you make it into a skill, and then you monetize it. And then you never feel like you're working because you're doing stuff that you love. And if you are creative, and I believe that everybody is creative, even though some people will argue until they're blue in the face, they're not with me. If you can tie it in with that, then happy days. Thank you so much for coming in to see us. You've been a real shot of positivity. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. And thanks also to Gemma Collins of NatWest for sharing the Rose Review and its important implications with us. You can find a link to the review in our show notes if you want to find out more. As always, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed, please rate and review. It'll help other creatives to find us. We always want to know what you think, so do tag Creative Cardiff in any of your comments on social media. Get a Proper Job is made by Creative Cardiff with and for the creative community. I've got a proper job. <laughs>